You haven't even paid me from last time. I haven't watched Halo either. I'm going to summarize Halo Season 2 based on the Watching Now Halo podcast from Couch Soup. This is going to be fun. So Chief could be crazy. <laughs> Cortana's had a facelift. We're a bit mixed. Quan and Soren's story is really boring. Is is it over yet? Reach is f***ed. Reach for the stars. You all are gonna die. Spartans have a new leader called Ackerson. More like Dickerson. Apparently McKee is alive. She didn't die on screen, so she's probably not dead. Key's definitely not dying. Right, right, right. And the flood is coming. Is the water on this planet? What do I know? You should be listening to the Watching Now Halo podcast everywhere. Podcasts are available. Where's my money, Drew? From the team that brought you the award-winning show Retro Replay and the Emmy-nominated comedy series Con Man comes a new idea just crazy enough to be good. Introducing Couch Soup. I know, I know, you're probably wondering, what is Couch Soup? Well, Couch Soup is content for your hungry nerd soul. Daily articles from fans, not pundits. Weekly podcasts that contain a multiverse of opinions on all things pop culture. Exclusive videos and weekly live streams where we laugh, scream, and sometimes have technical difficulties. All created by folks like you. The gamers, the film nerds, the TV bingers, comic book lovers, bookworms, and pop culture enthusiasts, all in one giant bowl of beautiful, disgusting, soupy goodness at CouchSoup.com. All Things Alice. This podcast will explore the cultural phenomenon of Alice in Wonderland as artistic landmark and global symbol of inspiration and imagination. I'm your host, Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy. Let's explore what is it about Alice? Hey, everybody. It's another episode of All Things Alice. Welcome to the show. Today, I have another very talented artist, Ricky Romero. The two of us have not worked together. Often I've worked with uh, a number of concept artists, but seriously, that needs to change with this guy because he is super talented and he takes us to the dark side of Alice in Wonderland. You can find him online under the moniker Mr. Revenge. That should tell you everything about the tone of his work. So check out his stuff. He's got a bunch of awesome pop culture-inspired art. And by the way, don't miss the discount link for his merch in the description below. It's well worth checking out. We're going to be talking about surviving as an artist, the balancing act of creativity and parenthood, and of course, all things Alice. So let's fall down that rabbit hole. Ricky, hey man, welcome to the show. Yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm pretty good. You? Oh, I'm doing all right. I'm excited uh, to have you on the show and, you know, to uh, meet somebody that I've never worked with. Uh, you know, I have a lot of guests. I have a lot of guests that I've worked with before or uh, and I'm um, starting to branch out. And, you know, I, I, I love the tone of your of your art. And I, you know, referenced it and you thanked me and uh oh. And here we are. We're, we're... It was an honor, man. I, I got to say, seeing you drop that and then, you know, I saw your name and it 
sort of rang a bell a little bit. And I was like, wait, I, I know this name. And then, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, yes. Looking Glass Wars, how, you know. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> how could I forget? <laughs> that, that, that's so, yeah, that. big fan of the books. And, oh. Yeah. So, yeah. Honor, honor oh, to be on the show. Oh honestly. well, thank you very much. When yeah. um when did you pick up the books? At uh, what age? Oh, it was probably my last big physical reading spree. Probably around two thousand. I don't want to admit around two thousand eight. It's been that long since I've actually been picking up physical books. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, that's okay. <laughs> you know, we're all transitioning so, into this new era. So. But uh, yeah, I did read all three of them. I read the third one right after it came out because you know after i'd read the first one it was like oh well i gotta see what happens and then speed through the rest of them oh well thank you that's <laughs> such a nice that's such a nice compliment you know it's been a while since uh 2015 since i wrote a prose book so uh to get a little feedback at any time especially this long after the publication is uh is very satisfying so thanks man yeah. it's a lot of fun a lot of fun just really engaging you know i remember really liking the stories and actually the uh the queen that i draw a lot is without a doubt influenced by red from the books <laughs> oh well, well i'm i'm really i'm interested in, in in talking to you about all of that but you don't do just alice stuff you like to take on all things in pop culture uh and twist and turn and reinvent them uh <laughs> what are you doing attacking all these brands a little mermaid and alice in wonderland oh, oh. these iconic <laughs> what 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 do you have a do you have a beef with this uh this presentation or or what i, I don't think it's so much as a, a beef with them in particular so much as uh the creative world that we kind of live in now because of them you know so it's sort of like as an artist you kind of feel pigeonholed into doing certain types of art marvel especially star yeah. wars and you know i see so many artists and follow so many artists that are just incredible artists but they just don't get the recognition they deserve because they aren't really willing to you know dip their foot into that pond you know they're just like i don't really want to do superheroes i don't really want to do that and i just think it's kind of sad you know because uh when i started drawing i really had a, just a lot of original ideas that i really wanted to put through but everybody just wanted me to draw what they wanted to see from popular you know franchises sure. mm -hmm. and so I think that that was a response to that. It was just kind of like a, well, I mean, if I'm going to do it, then I'm just going to do it in a bit of a punk rock, sassy kind of way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, there's no real hate for any of them. I love all of everything that I draw and everything I draw. I mean, I grew up with. So, you know, I have a lot of respect for them and the artists who do them. But uh, in terms of continuing, it just kind of feels like, man uh, can we get some new ideas here yeah can we get some new ideas <laughs> whether you're taking something that's recognizable you are bringing a fresh voice and look and feel it feel to it so you know i i'm a big fan of america mcgee and you know he started with that whole dark alice aspect but when i look at yours it's it's you know it's framed in horror a bit but it's so whimsical and it's so optimistic and it's so stylized. I mean, the Mad Hatter with his outfit uh, yeah. is 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 just beautiful. Uh, oh, so the the 
you know, the horror side of it, uh, you know, comes through. And, and by the way, we're talking about Alice in Wonderland and, you know, a lot of people see it as a, a whimsical story, but there's yes. a lot of people that see it as a, you know, as rather more of a horror story with some insanity because of what's, what goes on in the story. So you have lots of perspectives on, on what Alice means and how it's represented in culture. Uh, and I would say that more people are pushing to, quote unquote, the darker Alice. I can see where somebody might say that about yours, but inside of it, I see a love for the characters and a love for the world. If you were to describe, I would like to go through some of the, your artwork, but let's just start with the Mad Hatter because he's so iconic. What was going on for you creatively in terms of influences for the art? So Alice in Wonderland for me, as I approach it again, it's like, a, like you were saying, it's whimsical, but uh, it's for me a happy dream that sort of morphs into a nightmare. Um, Looking Glass, same sort of thing. And I really love those books, probably more than most other books, the originals. They're just fun to, I mean, even now I put them on when I draw, I'll put on the audiobook and just listen to it, which is what I've been doing with your books too. Just side note, as I've been drawing lately with these new Alice pictures, you know, anything to put me in that world, but the originals. Yeah. So when I, when I draw them, I kind of like to uh, draw between the lines, if you will, you know, so everything that I draw regarding Alice isn't specifically written in the book, but it's not, not written <laughs> mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. what i mean yeah, so it's sure. like it's between everything's the lines. allowed as far as alice is going you know like so for the mad hatter my most recent picture i drew him with a bunch of tattoos that are all completely tea themed and queen the wonderland themed tattoos and it works for me as i'm drawing it because in my mind there's never a passage in the book that says he doesn't have tattoos and within the confines of history, 18th century or so. Yeah, plenty of sailors running around with tattoos. Mad Hatter gets tattoos. End of story. And that's sort of, you know, the creative process for me. And in terms of making them scary and whatnot, I try to sort of merge a little bit of the creepy with a character that you might actually like to meet, but probably not stay around too long, which is kind of <laughs> how I feel about most of the characters in Wonderland right, anyway. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, these are people with the inability to communicate at times or have reason, yes. and there's rampant, uncontrollable moments for lots of them. Exactly. So you never know what you might get. Yes, um, yes. So that's the fun of the story for me is just, you know, putting my own little spin on it. But I like to make sure that if you're pairing the images that I'm doing with the story, you won't look at the image and say, hey, well, that that doesn't happen in the book. That, that can't happen in the book, you know, because I don't know. I mean, you could go that way. Obviously, incredible stories can be made that way. But when I'm doing it, I just, I like to stay within, like I said, the confines of just the old story. Okay. So <laughs> you don't feel like you get swept up in other influences from pop culture when you're, uh, when you're sketching and starting to fill in? Uh, because I, I, when I look at his suit with those really, 
you know, sharp lines and the way that his body, I, I love the way that his body is swayed, you know, as if the wind is pushing him. In this image that you sent to me, almost looks like he came out of a, you know, that was part of a, a, a prison uh, uniform. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you yeah, know, with the be. cigarette, the long cigarette, that seems like a movie star from the 30s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you so, know. <laughs> you know, you're you definitely are still blending, you know, influences from pop culture that you've seen because they're yeah. right there to to a lot of those images and pop culture things that I do pull for sure are um dated. Yes, okay, <laughs> yeah. fine. I'm sort of I live on the TCM channel. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's really that's just jam. Yeah, I just watch black and white movies nonstop and really you know, what Harry Mason oh. Twilight Zone I mean the old outer I just I love the old black and white movies yeah. you know wow that's great what mm -hmm. movie have you watched recently that ignited your imagination a little bit as oh, a, ignited my imagination for Let's work see. for work oh for work yeah for your mm -hmm. art is there anything that you've watched you went oh no I don't really think that watching things influences quite as much as just the nostalgia that I've got implanted in my head. Okay. Like a lot of the old things I've watched, I've seen a million times okay. already. And I just, I really, it's comfort, you know, mm -hmm. comfort background noise. Um, as far as new things that have inspired me. Hmm. I mean, I loved Perry Mason. That's nostalgic. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, that, that was that was the best. So the new the new Perry Mason was really entertaining. It was, was like it? it was you know like taking an old episode of Perry Mason and stretching it out into a you know a season-long series but I, I was entertained by it it kind of threw uh perry mason you know on his head too he, oh, he wasn't okay I, I, that's you know I, I i've been tempted to watch it and i hadn't talked to anybody about it and so you know i i needed i, ne I needed a little prodding so uh, yeah, i mean it, you if know. you like perry mason I yeah, do. It's a, yeah it's an interesting take you know he, he's very much uh not the Perry Mason you remember, but the stories are still as engaging, I feel, you right. know, especially towards the end of every season. But yeah, again, I just I, I really enjoy just that old timey feel. And they do a really good job of capturing the uh, the time period in that show, too. So I'm a sucker for anything from that from that era, you know. <laughs> OK, so in creating your work, you're you're thinking about what's in the novel, in the original books from Lewis Carroll. You're also thinking, you know, what's kind of between the lines. And then you have these influences that just find their way into your art, which is why I love the Hatter so much. But I also, the Alice uh, image that you did, she looks like a ballet dancer. She's so elegant and there's so much motion. And then when you look closely, you see that big knife. Tell me about the composition of that image and what that knife represents, because you also have those cards flying all over and the moon in the back. It's it's in her hair. <laughs> I, I, lo I love all of that. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. I, uh, that one is, uh, that piece in particular just kind of came about. I, I don't even really know how it sort of came together, but mm -hmm. uh, the, the violence and, stuff that I sort of throw in the blade is just you know the vorpal sword blade it mm -hmm. kind of a bit of a nod to uh American McGee because her blade in the game was like a knife mm -hmm. um oh that's cool okay that makes sense to me yeah I mean you know again 
says it's a sword specifically in the book, but I mean, a knife works too. A blade is a blade. <laughs> a yes, blade blade. it cuts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I like the image of a you know a knife as opposed to a sword. A sword brings a very medieval type of feel to it, and the knife kind of just feels a little bit crazier. You know, like mm-hmm. I just grabbed a kitchen knife, and now I'm gonna go through Wonderland. As far as the uh, the actual composition and everything goes with the cards, I think I was really just feeling at the time like I wanted to draw an Alice that sort of encompassed most of the ideas of Wonderland with, you know, the heart cards and the little caterpillar that she's actually facing. So it sort of takes a bunch of elements from the story and just mixes them all together into one piece. You know, she's really that much bigger than the caterpillar because in my mind she had just eaten a piece of the mushroom mm-hmm. you know the cards are flying around sort of as a sign of things to come you know okay just a little bit she's going to be at the castle the blade again was really just a nod to the video game because there's no real mention of the blade in the first book yeah i mean you know uh, the style and everything else was it's kind of an older piece that i did so uh i think it was really a time when i was more experimental than i am right now in terms of uh, design, character-wise, the pointy feet, you know, the uh, very sort of exaggerated features. <laughs> I really love that. So, uh, but that doesn't mean that I don't like love. I don't know. I don't know what's new or old. Oh, yeah. um, but I have the Cheshire Cat hanging upside down. Uh, it's blue, holding a cup of tea up yes. upright, <laughs> and uh, and then I think the. You know, the scarier card soldier with that face, which is uh, all teeth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I think that's a nod to, you know, full on horror. Totally. Cheshire Cat's one of my favorites in Alice, without a doubt. He just was always the one to kind of put the smile on my face throughout the books. So confusing, so nonsensical. He just, I mean, him and then without a doubt, probably the Mad Hatter second, but drawing him, I don't know. I had this idea of, you know, he's always depicted as sitting on the tree, but I figured maybe a little bit crazier. Maybe <laughs> right? not just sitting. Mm-hmm. Well, let's turn him into a little bit of a monkey. He's hanging now mm-hmm. by his tail, you know, because why not? And then the tea thing, uh, I just thought it was kind of funny. You know, he's going to be holding a saucer of tea and drinking it, but you can't hold it upside down. So I kind of created an, a, a little bit of a, interesting mix for people who actually notice that detail where he's holding the tea the right side up yeah. but he's upside down you know yeah. but it, it was a fun piece and uh, a lot of the things that i do in those pieces that uh not many people notice these things because especially in this day and age you know you, you're really only seeing these pieces on the phone but if you look really closely i, I always put hidden pictures in everything the newer ones there that are uh the bigger ones for i think i labeled those 2023 if you actually zoom in on those and scroll around, you'll just see millions of just little millions, well, dozens, I should say, of little faces just everywhere throughout the picture. And uh, that's something that I've always done. And I think that sort of just dates back to me as a kid loving those Where's Waldo books and the mm. amount of detail they would throw in them and sort of transferring that over to my other art just Oh, well, you know, I'm drawing a big picture, but I'm actually going to throw in just a tiny little picture here. We'll see if anybody notices it. Rarely do, but I still do it. <laughs> well, it, it's it's it, it, it's fun that there's Easter eggs. And the more people that know there's Easter eggs, the more people will go hunting for them. So 
This is um, true. This is true. <laughs> um, and is there a reason that uh, you use the color blue or bluish gray for uh, is it these are just instinctual choices that come up or? Well, the Cheshire Cat, I think I used the blue just because I am I think at the time I didn't have any other colors and I was just trying to go for the brightest color I had. <laughs> I love that answer. I'm trying to make yeah. this like, did he really think about choices and test yeah. it out? He goes, oh, fuck it. No, it's, this is all I got. That's probably the yeah, best. I'm pretty way. sure blue was all I had that looked crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was uh, at the time I was doing those, I was running low on a bunch of different colors. So I was grabbing whatever I could find. I think some of those were even painted with food coloring. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> food color art. Fun. <laughs> well, what was your first introduction to Alice reading the books you said, but how old were you and oh, who introduced well, the first you? Introduction yeah. was a cartoon for sure. The cartoon. Oh, okay. I mean, to say otherwise, I mean as somebody born in the eighties would just be untrue. Yes. But the first one that actually really resonated with me and stuck in my memory was the 85 TV movie. The um, Was that and, with, uh, uh, with everybody? Everybody was in that. Um, Whoopi yeah. Goldberg was in that, right? Yes, yes. 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 Her and her sister. And uh, I remember seeing that. I couldn't have been older than maybe seven or eight at the time. And that one just really had just really left an impression on me, you know? In what way? I was, I was, I was, I was visiting my cousin at the time when we saw it. So it was just on, I believe they might've had it on tape or something. And it was just so weird, <laughs> you know, it was just so out there The the songs, the makeup, uh, it, but at the same time, just totally compelling. And I remember even years later, just searching for that movie and i couldn't find it anywhere it took forever i think for that thing to come out on dvd i could not find that anywhere and when i finally did i re-watched it and i remember feeling almost the exact same way i did as a kid watching it wow. where i'm just like oh wow. this is this is really weird but i actually really <laughs> like this a lot <laughs> you know I, I, I think that was because it was a tv movie um mm -hmm. it i think it took a while for it to find its way to uh to dvd Yes, but, um, that makes sense. Were, were there other things in pop culture that have weird, twisted takes on stories or pre-existing ideas that you've been attracted to that that you grew up with? Mm, you know, a lot of them, I want to say really just sort of that I can recall off the top of my head. They all seem to just be Alice in Wonderland themed for some reason, like Night of the Demons, the old 80s horror movie. Okay. Alice in Wonderland goes to a haunted house, you know, <laughs> all the different variations and iterations, different names here and there, even the, the most recent Korean uh, show, Alice in Borderland. In Borderland. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all just, it's interesting. It's just, I think it's just really interesting how many people decide to use Alice as their source of inspiration. And I feel like that sort of resonates with me a lot too, because I, you know, I really don't know why it is with Alice, but something about it just is fun. <laughs> you know, you and I have the same the the same experience. Um, but um, I'm wondering if you've noticed when you're working on something in Alice, it, suddenly it seems to be everywhere. It's everywhere every day. Anyway, it's like cars. You know, you 
You know, oh, you yeah. buy a Prius and suddenly everybody seems to have a Prius. Uh, totally. or what, or what have you. <laughs> um, but the same with, with Alice, you know, I, in this last uh, political cycle, I heard through down the rabbit hole, we're through the looking glass, you know, oh, yes. we're all mad here <laughs> over and over and over. And I was like, wow, I don't, was I not paying attention before? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I feel like that sometimes too. Like it's just the world just completely taken with this. Is this, yeah. I mean, is this just how we do? We just, do Alice references every day now for everything? Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, every time I'm on the internet, everybody's, oh, I just went down a rabbit hole. It's like, oh, well, did you now? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's probably the most popular and often used phrase that obviously Lewis Carroll didn't invent rabbit holes, but as a portal to a different place, he certainly did. And, and so, you know, on, as you said, not only on the internet, but basically um, anywhere, yeah, exactly. you know, everywhere people say it so right. casually, you wonder mm -hmm. if they even know what the source material is. True. Yeah. True. I, I never actually wondered that, but now I'm going to start wondering that they're going to say that. And I'm going to be like, do you even know what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. So are you also writing? Because you this morning you sent me um, a, a poem. Uh, oh, yes. That's yeah. from The Looking Glass. So oh. there's a portion so, in that where the white knight actually sits Alice down and uh, recites this poem about the aged, aged man or. Oh, OK. Size, I believe is what it's called to Alice. And it's just a nonsensical poem, of course, but uh, the little last portion of the poem where it specifically references the guy sitting on the fence. I always, uh, I enjoyed that. So, so I always wanted it, to draw it. Oh, okay. Because um, I just, you know, I just received it this morning. So I was going, Hey, what's, what's going on? And and then I see the next chapter is right from, right from the books. It's um, the Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, I'd like to fully illustrate Alice at some point, and that's kind of what that's leading up to, you know, like an actual just his literature, just my art. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. And you should, you know, put it on Kickstarter and uh, raise a bunch of money and uh, fans will love it. Um, it fe will feel fresh. And, you know, you, you're honoring the uh, source material and you're bringing a new twist to it, which you know, is sort of the whole point of works that are in pop culture is to find a way to make them feel relevant and contemporary in the current zeitgeist of what's going on. Uh, and you wouldn't be the first. Uh, there are a lot of illustrated books out there. Um, <laughs> and do you have any favorites? Not really in terms of illustration. When it comes to Alice illustrations, I there's a lot that misses the mark for me. And uh, I think a lot of that just has to be because they they feel too fluffy, too happy, you know? Yeah. And it's not that they're bad pieces of art or anything. I'm not saying that at all. They're great pieces of art, but just it doesn't resonate with me in terms of the Alice in Wonderland world that I sort of feel when I read it. You know, they feel overly happy or there's a lot of, you know, things are just very, very completely inspired by one specific source looking at you, Disney. Um, right. <laughs> you know, and the ones that aren't, I feel, are definitely interesting. Again, your books, uh, America McGee, those types of things. I, I like those interesting takes on it, you know, especially yours, because you really went into the history and everything and just tied it all together. It was a lot of fun to read. But in general, I feel like a lot of people just can't concentrate on the, the happiest part. 
of Alice or the dream part where apparently all dreams are good for them, maybe. Are, are you a Ralph Steadman uh, fan? Do you know Ralph Steadman? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, he's Because great. to me, uh, the Alice piece of art that you did is not dissimilar in terms of the lines. That's one of my favorite illustrated oh. Alice books and you know, it sort of put him on the map. Um, but when I look at your Alice, uh, the, the one we were talking about earlier, and then I look at some of Ralph Steadman's, the whimsy that he creates is not dissimilar to stylistically. You have a more of a horror bent to it, mm, but, but there is something that I'm not quite articulating here. Uh, <laughs> okay. no, I got high praise indeed. I mean, honestly, I, Steadman, wow. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> but can you do you see the if you look at the Alice? Oh, I do. I do. do you I see mean, why I make that connection? Totally. He's an, he's an amazing artist, and I can actually see that. And a lot of you know my initial I, I'm gonna say training, but it was really just self taught. Has was really from a lot of you know Disney artists and books, and you know Stedman absolutely featured in there because again. Wonderland. Just love it. The poses and everything else. That's just, for me, uh, studying a lot of old Disney animation. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and, uh, right. That was right. really what I wanted to do when I grew up as a kid. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to I'm gonna go to Disney and I'm going to bring in my ideas and we're going to make animated movies. And then and I was hitting high school and then they closed their animation studios and I just floundered. <laughs> I was like, oh, guess I'm not going to Disney then. Hmm. Well, now what? And so that's like <laughs> all of that training I did up until then, just sort of like feeling like that's what I'm going to do. Definitely influenced my line work and how I draw and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people see a lot of different styles in my art. You know, I, I get oh, so many different artists. Draw. Your art looks so much like this person's. Your art looks so much like this person's. And it's not really a conscious effort to make it look like any person so much as it's just. Yeah. I sat down and a, I drew it. Yeah, it's a, it's their influences and amalgamation of all sorts of things that have come into your creative consciousness. So, but yeah, the the line drawings and the poses, I can see what you're what you're getting at with um, some of the animated characters because you have that slightly exaggerated proportions to the body, slightly exaggerated um, stances. Um, which I which I really love, and I'm looking forward to contrasting. I'll I'll find a Stedman piece and put that up on the uh, interview so folks can actually, yeah. actually <laughs> visualize this. But it, that that makes sense to me that some of these people were influences uh, influences for you. So how does one become self taught in drawing? Is it is it like writing? It's the doing of and trial and error and i think so i think at the end of the day it's just picking up the pencil and doing it you know or whatever your medium is you just have to do it and not let the failure or whatever you can't do in the moment sort of hold you back from what you know that you're capable of doing you know how how, how do you view failure um i suppose i try not, not to at all <laughs> but uh failure i guess is the idea of sitting down for me personally artistically speaking and drawing something to a point where i know it's good but i'm just unhappy with it it's i look at the picture and i just say that's just 
a fail. Okay. <laughs> you know, and it, it's kind of depressing in a way. But how does it how does it inform the next piece or the piece after that or the reimagining of it? How does it affect your psyche going, you know, like for exactly. for instance, I'll, I'll I'll just reference myself. So, you know, I'll I'll write something. I'll write a chapter early in a book and then I'll be midway into the novel and then I'll go back and say, oh, I better polish that that chapter. And then I'll read the chapter and go, wow, that is terrible. Like, what was I thinking? And then, and because the one that I just wrote seems so fresh and so much, so fresh, it's new. It's just come off, you know, out of my head. And that one I love. And then I go back and I read that and I go, oh God, really? I thought that was pretty good. And then I go back and I rewrite it and then I start to feel good about it. I go, oh, well, I fixed it. It's fresh. That's pretty good. And then I work my way through and I go back and forth in that process. And then sometimes in the middle of the night, I've said this to other guests, I wake up and I go, okay, I came up with a solution. Here's the problem. This doesn't make any sense. So the whole chapter doesn't flow. And then I finally let it go. I'm not going to look at that chapter until my editor looks at it and then I'll battle out with her what, you know, what's, what's good or bad. Um, so what's your version of that? That, you know, it sounds very, very similar to what I do. Uh, just reading line work instead of lines, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I'll draw a sketch and I'll, I'll feel positive about it. And so when I draw, I have this thing that I do and it's something that I learned from, um, Roald Dahl back in the day, I read a documentary, I saw a documentary about him and what he used to do was he would write and then like at the very tip top precipice of his creativity, he would just put it down and walk away. And he said that allowed him to really just sort of flesh it out in his mind because he was just so into it. You know, he couldn't wait to get back to it because, you know, he stopped at the height of his creativity there. So he's really just pouring his mind into that while he's away and then he comes back and then boom he writes the rest of his rolled doll book <laughs> right. or however much he's doing for me i feel like it's a it's a similar thing i try to draw and when i have a scribble or a sketch of an idea i like that i'm really really enjoying i won't overwork it and i'll just step away and if i don't do that i feel like i end up in that same situation that you were just talking about where it just kind of haunts me until i can figure out the line work and i've had pictures where i will go over the line work a dozen times you know cuz it's digital right here so it's like oh no i that's what i want to draw but that's not the line work i want for it that's not the look i want so let's try again that one's better cool cool Come back a little later. No, that's not what I want. That's not the line work I'm looking for. Delete and start again. Reference and start again. Reference and start again. Sometimes they never even make it out. I've got just dozens of pictures on here that I just am never going to finish just because it's not a style that I can capture in the moment when I sit down to work on it, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. But other ones, I come back a year later and I'm like, oh, that's what I was trying to do with that. that well, I'll finish it in 30 minutes. Right. And I'm happy with it. 
you know? <laughs> How satisfying is that <laughs> when you can actually well, feel, sa- you know, like happy about finishing it and then it comes really quickly. And I do think that, uh, you know, creating a little bit of space, which is why I often write uh, out of order. Um, you know, I'll have an idea for chapter halfway through a novel and write that and then come back and, you know, slowly work my way through it. So, it's so, way to do it, apparently, according to Roald Dahl. So. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, the, the putting it down is is really important. Um, I found myself, because I've been looking at ways to adapt The Looking Glass Wars into a TV show, uh, and so I have to go back and revisit uh, and then look at the story with logic that suits a different medium. I keep coming up with better ideas that would suit the TV show, but would be great in the book. I'm like, what was I thinking back then? That This is so much better of a solution. It's better backstory. It's more dynamic. It's 10 mm. years past its prime, yeah. but I can't do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, I was actually going to ask you about that, how that feels, you know, having something that you wrote that's so, I mean, great and iconic just at this point, years later, you, you must look back on that and feel like, I mean, obviously proud of it, but you must have some sort of feelings like, oh man, I just, just that one little sentence I would have changed. Or what if I would have just changed that tiny bit of a plot? Would I, you know, do you, do you feel that often or? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm literally because I'm, uh, because I'm re-examining and reinventing. So for instance, there is uh, a gap uh, there, there's there's a logic problem for me, and I'll, I, uh, anybody that knows the book will know. So Hatter Madigan, he goes on a 13-year search mm-hmm. uh, in terms of finding Alice. And the moment that he finds Alice, he's going into Buckingham Palace, and he's jumping off over this wall, and he's confronted with a guard, and there's a big fight, and Hatter leaves unsuccessfully, uh, fulfilling his mission and goes back to Wonderland to tell everybody that she's alive and she's in this world and we need to go, we go need to go rescue her. And, you know, I, I was trying to, at the time I thought, well, if Hatter meets Alice, he's going to automatically bring her back uh, no matter what she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, I can't have them be confronted. They can't, he can't confront her because his duty will overwhelm whatever thoughts she has about it. But then in the TV show, when I was developing it, I said that that moment of conflict is so important. So how could I resolve that moment of conflict differently? So I wrote the scene that had her gets up into her uh, into her study, and she's there, and she's confronted by this person that looks like the Mad Hatter from the books, which she has pushed out of her mind. So it's one of those crazy obsessive fans. Like, how did you get in here? I'm going to call the guard. <laughs> you have to get out. And there's this really intense conversation because he's saying, no, I'm here to save you. Don't you remember your, you know, and there's this whole thing. And, and she, he, he says, no, your people need you. You have to come back. And she finally uses her own logic. She goes, wait, so I'm your queen. 
I'm in charge. You have to do as I say. Is that right? I command you to leave. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that works, right? (laughs) Right? I mean, so is that much more dynamic? How tortured do you think I am that I don't have that scene in the book? And how great that dialogue scene and how much fun that would be and how conflicted Hatter would be after 13 years of losing his charge and everything he's gone, gone through, everything. And in this moment, nobody believes she doesn't believe him as no one's believed her for 13 years. No, so that, that, would should, been, that would have been a really, I think good that would scene, have been a really right? cool little bit to read, to be honest. I, I, I'm, I'm re-listening to them, or listening to them, I should say, for the first time, not rereading, listening to them. And that, yeah, I would really, I would really have liked to uh, seen that. I think one part that actually, I don't know, I wouldn't, it's not disappointing, but when he did go back, I kind of felt like, oh, he left without Alice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, it, 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 yeah, it, it wasn't satisfying. It was not satisfying. So, you know, to answer your question, uh, that's just one of like a hundred of uh, those problems that I, I, I look back on. But uh, on the other hand, you know, as you're creating something, you have it in your mind and you wonder if it's what you have in your mind is going to translate thematically and the ideas and the feeling. Is the feeling going to translate? Do you find that people, you know, look at a piece of your Alice uh, art and say, hey, this kind of captures what I think of the book. It's not a dream for me. It's more nightmarish. Do you have comments, anything like that? I get a lot of positive feedback from the auto, the Alice. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with just how, uh, how awesome really just the Alice community is in general. I mean, you know, they, <laughs> Alice fans are just going to be Alice fans for everything, it seems, which is cool. Well, Alice fans love all things Alice, uh, and you know, <laughs> and they, they keep reinvesting because artists keep reinvesting. For instance, let me tell you a story, something about one of my publishers. They turned me down and they say, look, you're going to piss off all the Alice fans. And then somebody said, you're only going to have the Alice fans. And I go, only the Alice fans, 150 million books sold. I'll take that. And I didn't agree that um, fans would be upset. Yeah, a few fans, if the, you know, a few people like the traditional, but that just meant they didn't know anything about pop culture. They weren't looking anywhere other than you know, Harry Potter. So yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> too true, too true. Another another one of those franchises that just loves to keep on keeping on. <laughs> well, to their credit, I mean, um uh you know, things that have uh, pr- stories that have resonance and that people grow up with, they linger as Alice in Wonderland. And so, you know, it's hard to fault uh, Harry Potter for going on and on when Alice in Wonderland has been going on and on, um, even though Lewis Carroll hasn't been uh, carrying the torch. The rest of us have been carrying the torch. Yeah, I mean, that's true too. But I mean, I think the bigger difference is just in, you know, the way that you can tell the story. You know, you can't really tell Harry Potter more than a couple different ways. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because that's J.K. Rawlings and- um, Exactly, you know, but and, Alice, you know, you 
approach it how you want, you know, and chances are you're going to find somebody who really appreciates the way that you've approached it, you know, probably more than just one person. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, with, with these other franchises, again, like the newer ones are just so people are so defensive about them. That's another thing. People are very, very defensive about them. You know, they don't want them to be messed with in any sort of way. Whereas, you know, by contrast, Alice is just sort of like, oh, well, here's a bunch of paints. Paint it the way you want, you know? The other contracts are like, here's your set color of paints and you must use these pencils. Please color within the lines. (laughs) You know, and I think that's sort of the the bigger takeaway when it comes to, you know, lingering sorts of characters in, in terms of, you know, pop culture and stuff like that, you know? Well, I mean, the, and also the difference is when things are in the public domain, then you have license to do anything you want. Yes. Um, and then inside of a world, like let's just say the Batman world, um, in you, you know, if you if you give the reins over to a filmmaker, as they did with the Joker uh, movie, you're going to get something that stands on its own, that's original, and that's quite different. But and the more that you try and adhere to the the formula, the more the formula dissipates over time, and you burn out on it, and then you feel frustrated because the thing that you love so much starts to fade as in game of thrones which i watched m- multiple times but i always stop at i don't know season 6 or something cuz season 7 and 8 or 8 I, and 9 i wonder why <laughs> yeah exactly i just i it was so you know it was so frustrating it was um, oh wow was it oh I man i i those books were around the same time that i was going through like i was telling you earlier my my last book reading phase and your books were a part of that group and I remember just being again the last handful of books that I actually physically read I was really enjoying I enjoyed every single one of them and then the show came on and I was just ecstatic about it and man the first few seasons I couldn't tell enough people to watch it and then as the show was closing out I just was like my my Game of Thrones just went on mute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it, uh, it completely cratered. But if you read the novels, you really understand why, because yes. the novels are so precise and so set up for episodic for for television. Yes, um, totally. And they're just so expansive. I mean, they're just—I don't even know how you could even fit all of that in television. You know what I mean? Like within a season. I mean, how many hours do you get a season? Not enough. <laughs> yeah, but, but structurally, but structurally, the books set up in much the same way as the as the television show. So it was very noticeable when they didn't have a book to finish out, and then it was guesswork, and they didn't have the they didn't have the 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 roadmap. Um, and totally. and and so you know, from that standpoint, what you're talking about, where there's a burnout in franchise creation and exploitation of IPs, you know, uh, uh, I agree, you know, when somebody's a creator and you can give them, you know, sort of license like Peaky Blinders and Stephen Knight, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's been going on for years and years. And he does, I think, I believe he writes all the episodes and there's a tone and a consistency and, you know, uh, and it's, 
it it stands it's stood the test of time you know so far well i think that in in the hands of creators we would honestly probably get much more entertaining products but the problem is that it's not entirely in the hands of creators at this point yeah like <laughs> you know like e even within the realm of marvel and all that other stuff if they would just take the reins off you know and stop forcing everything to be a certain way like i would love to just have comic book movies made by whatever specific story you want just standalone you know this was a great comic book story we're going to make this standalone comic book movie the next comic book movie if it's going to be one on the same character doesn't even have to be associated with this one because that standalone comic story was its own piece of greatness you know mm -hmm. but everything just has to be tied in and it just starts to convolt especially at a point where like you were saying it just starts to you know wear on you you know mm -hmm starts to sort of yeah. get old. Well, I, I've got a Spider-Man tattoo here. Okay. Uh, but yeah. 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 So I, yeah, I, I feel it. You're a fan. <laughs> I love comic books yeah. growing up. And at this point I fall asleep for comic book movies because there's just so many of them. Yeah. I, 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 I'm with you. I, I love the new Spider-Man, the, uh, the animated Spider-Man that uh, first and second one, but uh, you mm -hmm. know, we'll see. Uh, we have uh, James Gunn is, uh, is running DC now. So uh, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. Sure. Fingers crossed indeed. Yes, exactly. You know. Hey, by the way, what's the uh, comic book uh, on the wall behind you? Yeah. So these are just little Tokidoki things. I don't know if you're familiar with Tokidoki. It's like a, I'm, uh, I'm not cute little fancy oh. kid cuteness type oh, thing cool. <laughs> but if you uh combine that cuteness with you know the uh, the stuff like this that's that's my art <laughs> okay 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 you have your inspiration right behind you the there you, you go know. yeah you take the extra cute and you take the extra scary and you push them all together and that's that's my drawing <laughs> well uh do you have kids i do i have twin daughters actually they are 16 and they are itching to do movies i don't even know what i'm supposed to do with that and, and when they say they're itching to do movies in what capacity any capacity they just want to head down south and find their fortune so to speak okay so wh where, <laughs> where 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 are you right now california california we're up by sacramento sacramento and they want to come down to la yes yes well that were they actresses are they artists drawer do they draw and they want to do acting, of course, okay. modeling acting. That's okay. their jam. They've got the whole little extra twinning thing going on. You know, okay. they're those twins that just never stop dressing the same. Okay. <laughs> uh, did did uh, tell me about how they feel about your art. Have you ever used them as inspiration in art? Um, yeah. All the time. Yeah, all the time. They are uh, actually sort of my models for my alice character you know oh I profiles i use their hairstyles uh you know <laughs> anytime i need any sort of a reference pose featuring any sort of uh female characters hey come over here <laughs> put the kids to work <laughs> exactly <laughs> just a quick photo all right cool thank you <laughs> and uh and uh as 16 year olds uh how much uh how much are they listening to you these days Ooh, well well, no, they're good kids. They're good kids. You know, I, I think that every parent feels like 
the strain of teenagers without a doubt. Oh, but for sure. You kind of just have to look outside of the family to see how good your own kids are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. If that's the case for, for you in particular or anybody else with kids or teenagers, you know, I kind of just, I look at what other teenagers are going through and other teenage parents and I just makes me feel like, okay, yeah, I'm not doing so bad. This is great. Good to go. <laughs> well, I, I bring it up because I have a 15-year-old uh, daughter oh. and a 17-year-old son. And my 15-year-old daughter, I recently said, hey, can you explain to me like how I can get on TikTok and how I could put a video? And she goes, oh, God, dad, dad, don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I go, no, really. She goes, okay, <laughs> I'll help you. Let's film a TikTok together. And I said, well, let me like navigate the phone. She goes, no, just give me the phone. Let me just... <laughs> So she hooked me up on TikTok. I did I did one video and she goes, Dad, one video? That's <laughs> you're too old, Dad. So uh but uh you know I, I like uh, I like sharing um some of the stories or showing some of the art and you know I get you know I get my ten seconds of attention, like, oh, that's cool, moving on. But um yeah, that's you know, how it works. <laughs> to your point though, uh, you know, it's if you're if you're present, uh, sharing the creative process, uh, you know, engaging them in, you know, having a career that's enjoyable, like that doesn't feel like work, is uh, all you can do is support them. You know, you, know? Soup, you try and support that, right? And um, yeah. and also, uh, you know, show them the path to, you know, there's a path to, you know, doing things you want love, but you're going to fail along the way and it's how you respond to that failure. Um, and, and, and that's, that's sort of the critical, the critical lesson. Yeah. I, I'll support anything you do, but you know, some choices I may give you a heads up why that's might not be the best thing, but if you have a love for it and you want to pursue it, just know if it doesn't work out, another door is going to open up for you to something uh, that might will probably be better suited and equally enjoyable. Absolutely. That's life. Yeah. You know, so and that's all we can do as parents is just be supportive to say, Hey, you know, as long as you're not hurting yourself out there. Yeah. I'll yeah. do whatever I can to help you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me just go back um, because we're talking about careers uh, and our kids. Uh, just give me a little heads up about what, what you were thinking with your, you wanted it to be an animation. You were thinking about Disney. Yes. There's a lot of other animated companies. Did you pursue that? And then you landed on this art. Um, and, and then lastly, is this art a career that's sustainable? Is it something that you do with some other job? In terms of the, the Disney thing, uh, I started family early, so no. <laughs> oh, okay. After I had, yeah. After I had the girls. Uh, How old were you when you had the girls? Early 20s, 22, okay. 23, 22, actually, I think, okay. yeah, 22. So, uh, yeah, it was just sort of concentrate on the family after that. Um, I always did want to try and get out there, do something else. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, uh, after the whole animation thing, when I thought maybe, you know, maybe I want to direct movies. That would be kind of fun. And then, you know, you look into directing, you're like, well, that costs a whole lot of money. Yeah. Let's try next. Okay, what about this? Okay, well, maybe that could be fun, too. But... I think ultimately it was just sort of, well, do I really have time to spend away 
doing this sort of thing when you haven't really achieved it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like no. I, you can't start a family and then just run out and attempt no. to achieve stuff. It doesn't make it easy. <laughs> no. Not at 22. Not at 22. That's that's that that's a complicated um, time to be pursuing a career because basically your entire twenties would be experimenting to figure out where you're going to land so that you can do the thing you've explored in your twenties during your thirties, especially if it has to do with entertainment because it's so all consuming. Um, so for instance, for me, I, I was much older when I had kids. And then when I had kids, I realized, wow, I don't have nearly as much time to write. So I have to decide to write late at night as opposed to, you know, all day. Um, yeah. But at 22, you got to make some even more definitive choices. And, you know, having two beautiful girls uh, that that they're telling you what choice you have every day. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I did the the family man thing. I don't regret it at all. Yeah. But uh, in the time that I was doing that, I worked on my art on the side, you know, again, it was floundering. That's the best description for it. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do for a long time. I felt like, eh, I don't want to just draw because, you know, I don't want to be a starving artist. That's not fun. Yeah. But, uh, you know, how did you solve that? I became a starving artist, and then I just looked through that. <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't want to be a starving artist, but you know what? It's okay. I'm going to be a starving. Fine. All artist. right, we'll just do this. Yeah, we'll just do this. So I just powered through, and uh, you know, I got a little bit of a following. I, I, I'm still mystified as to how I ended up with as many people who enjoy my art as they do. I, you know, appreciate the hell out of it. So cool, but dumbfounded as to how it happened uh baby it's talent i mean talent uh always finds its way to the top people people feel it they 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 just they just intuit it and um that's why i reached out to you and uh and i'm excited to share your art with uh with my audience um so what are you working on now what can we look forward to Working on the Alice pictures, again, it's going to be a slow process because every single one of these Alice pictures that I'm doing, it's um, it's a poster size. Okay. So they are literally 20-something uh, by 20-something inches that I'm working on. So they take up a good portion of the wall, and drawing those digitally allows you to zoom into, you know, millimeter-sized areas if I wanted to throw in that detail, which I, I, I occasionally do. Okay. So that's going to take me the better part of the year, I think, to finally get those out. And I, I estimate that for the first book, it would take me about 60 to 80 pictures to fully illustrate it to a point where I would be happy with it. Okay. And that's not including looking back at the earlier pictures and reworking them. Uh, exactly. As we discussed, <laughs> which is so. Um, uh, and what's your plan to to have it published? The publish thing, um, there, I believe there are a couple of publishers that allow you to publish through them. Dark Horse was one of them that you can just sell straight off their site and they will take care of the publishing and all that kind of stuff. Um, Kickstarter was an option. I haven't really thought so far ahead as to that because I don't really know what I'm going to do after I have all of the pictures. <laughs> well, again, I'm once you have them. once you have them um, all together and you're weighing your options of how to publish, who to talk to, whether it's Kickstarter or, you know, a mad uh, image or dark horse or Amazon. 
uh, reach out to me and um, and let's let's talk about it. Well, and, I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, totally. Okay. First on the contact list. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I want a question for you though about your books. Have you ever looked into having them done in like an animated style? I've looked at every conceivable uh, iteration. Uh, I've looked at doing it as a musical, as an animated show. Yeah, I'm just curious because, you know, as I'm listening to it again, drawing here, the whole time I'm just like, it's, it's a revisit, you know, last time I read it was more than a decade ago. So as I'm listening to all these action sequences and everything again, the whole thing that's just sort of spinning through my mind is just like, wow. It's like could be like a studio Ghibli show. Yes, movie. yes, you know? yes. Like it would, it would be so cool. <laughs> well, Gerard Doyle, who is the 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 man who reads the book, is so good that even when I listen to it, I think, I wonder who wrote that. That's amazing. What? That guy is. He really brings it to life. Um, and you do experience the visceral uh, aspect of of what it could be cinematically, because Definitely. he has a very cinematic voice, and he changes his voice, and he changes for characters and their sound effects, and he's That's my favorite uh, part. He, <laughs> he he's he's terrific. So uh, kudos to him for for uh, for making the uh, audiobook uh, pop. Um, I've actually been trying to um, get Scholastic to republish it because they uh, they stopped publishing it, and um, and so they said they were going to put out a new a new edition. So we'll see. Because uh -huh. I I'd love I think people that have listened to it have have loved the uh, Gerard Doyle's voice and oh, read yes. and reading of the book, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, and it's, it's really a different experience than just reading it, you know, it brings like a whole new set of ideas in a sense into yeah. my brain. Oh, good. <laughs> you know, reading well, it is just sort of like, you know, I, I'm making it up as I go along and a lot of it is really just sort of, okay, we'll pull a little of this and a little bit of that. And, you know, I know that that's sort of what Alice is supposed to look like and that that's kind of like what the queen could sound like. But then when you hear somebody else read it, it's almost like, you know, having somebody read you a bedtime story so you can just sit there and drift off and let your imagination just go to work over everything that's being read to you. It's kind of like being in school again, you know, after break and while the teacher would sit there and read you a story and you had quiet time for 30 minutes. <laughs> I have two last questions and you brought up imagination and I want to know uh, from you um, how imagination, the, the power of imagination uh, in your work, uh, because in my novels, as you know, imagination is a real power source. And so I, um, I often like to look at quotes of, you know, you know, interesting creators or thinkers of philosophers about, about the idea of imagination in our place. Um, like, you know, Albert Einstein said, you know, I think uh, imagination is more powerful than knowledge which is so interesting because, you know, you need both, but, you know, you need that, that spark. And um, when you think about imagination, what do you, what do you think about? I think about imagination, I suppose. <laughs> really imagination for me is just anything that is just so outside of the normal that it seems crazy <laughs> that's okay. imagination for me like right 
I don't really imagine, oh, Monday life, mundane life, day to day. That's that's not imagination. You know, imagination is when you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, hey, look, there's a bird. But what if that bird, I don't know, all of a sudden transformed into something crazy, you know, uh, the human with a bird head and then just started running, you know. That's the type of imagination that I enjoy. You know, it's a very surreal type of imagination. You know, it could be David Lynch is one of my favorite directors. Okay, okay. Got that sort of yeah. very weird kind of scene to scene, like, oh, wow, what's going on? And then, you know, he zooms in on an Dirt. insect eating something. <laughs> yeah. and then, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a very weird juxtaposition of just oh well here's something really imaginative and here's something very real and now they're going to clash and i'm going to show them to you very vividly <laughs> cool i get that so, i get that so david david lynch is that's not a i guess in thinking about that that makes sense that he's an influence yeah totally totally without a doubt okay so like my last question and i had meant to ask you earlier because you said that your uh queen red character had there was some of my queen red character influence mm -hmm. and when you say that do you mean from the book or from the concept art that was on the cover from the book from the book so explain yes. explain what what so when i think of your red the two phrases from the first book that really stick out in my mind is the matted hair you know for mm -hmm. overall personality but the matted hair is the one thing that sort of because I think up until that point, as I was listening, I kind of always envisioned her as like a, almost like Charlize Theron from yeah. the Snow White movies, yes. you know? Uh -huh. But the matted hair and then the blackened teeth really just sort of like the chef's kiss of evil on it. <laughs> oh, that's a nice phrase. That's a you very know, nice phrase. It was phrase. like, oh, okay. So she's, she's like not traditionally pretty, but she's like... Hmm, I like this. I like this. I like this depiction. I think uh, I think I like the way this is going. And another thing that has to do with that too is that uh, the queen in general, I think everybody just really envisions as the Disney queen. You know, the the large, overweight, very boisterous kind of I don't know, mm -hmm. unattractive type queen. Yes. I guess you could say. Yep. And so, whenever I see different versions of the queen, I'm always intrigued by how whoever is interpreting them decides to go about and do that, you know? And I, I think that your interpretation was just uh, really for the time that I read it so far outside of what I'd typically seen her depicted as, you know what I mean? She's either just incredibly normal or incredibly unattractive and like mean, <laughs> you know? And then your version came along and I kind of felt like, Oh wow. She's like actually freaking evil she's actually like scary mean like i i never felt scary mean from the queen before but in your version they're scary mean okay yeah and, <laughs> and, and i can see that connection in your artwork but i can also see why my concept art didn't speak to that because there there was that rub between that blackened teeth and that hair and how attractive or not attractive should she be uh, in the concept art, because I was thinking about it from a cinematic standpoint, mm -hmm. and because I worked, I work in movies, and so, so, and Charlize Theron was, you know, she's she's a particular kind of model for 
the movie version um, and the concept artist that I worked with uh, who did the cover art for for um, Seeing Red did a number of iterations and they were the darker ones were rejected by my publisher. And so we ended up with the version that's on there uh, on the cover now, which is, you know, we had to take into consider their notes. Um, but I was, I was always a little bit conflicted about the way that I described her in the book with her teeth and versus, was I really going to show that off on the cover or, and I, I, I suppose I still haven't sorted that out. I think it's a great, I mean, you know, I, I've got my own personal horror style, but I think it's a great depiction. You know, okay. I, I feel like it's a, a truly evil queen. Okay. You know, it doesn't make you question whether yeah. or not she's evil or maybe just being annoying and angry, yeah. you know, right. <laughs> you know, that, that's the, that's the feeling I get from a lot of different interpretations of the queen is that they're just angry, you know, um, more question about your queen though. Um, in terms of look, what outside of like the sharpened teeth and the matted hair, what did you envision her as like the voice that's uh, being, you know, on the audio book is again, very much uh, reminiscent of like the queen from Disney you know, yeah. the, the, well, the pitch of voice, but it, visually as you were writing her, how did you envision her? Well, uh, you know, that mame of hair, that red hair. Um, and then it was the dress, you know, I focused a lot on, I had a, I had a little fantasy and, uh, driving in traffic and somebody cut me off and I was thinking like, I'd really like to do something. I'd really like to. I'd really like to reach out and do something to that person, and they're driving and disrupt their whole thing. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> having this. And and I thought, I, like if I was like like a thorny rose bush, I would just reach over and and just entwine their whole car and <laughs> find my way into the cracks of the window. And, uh, and, and so when I went home, I started thinking, Oh, red should have, this should have a dress that comes to life that can do that, that, uh, can, can reach out and, and kill some servant of any, anybody that she, you know, feels is not servicing her in the way that she should be, you know, taken care of. So, uh, so There's also another awesome thing about her. I, I did love the fucking, the thorns and the, oh, cussing. Sorry. Oh, you can cuss. The thorns and the nails. But uh, uh, yeah, just great. You know, just again, her whole evilness depicted in the book is just. Well, after seeing your artwork, it doesn't surprise me that uh, you landed <laughs> on Queen Red as an influence and that we're having a longer chat on uh, on Red. So uh, uh, we'll share we'll share some of those images and uh, and that kind of like minded spirit around the the villains. I uh, I appreciate chatting with you, and uh, it's been it's really been a pleasure getting to know you and uh, learning about your process, and you know, and uh, and you kind of drilling down on your art. So, thanks for taking the time to be on the All Things Alice show. So you have Instagram, you have um, you have you're on Threads. Your hey, what's up with uh, what's up with your uh, with your nickname, Mister Revenge? Where did that come from? Mr. Revenge was uh, back when I signed up for social media. I was rather clueless and I did not know that that was what people were going to be seeing. I just thought it was like uh, my video game name, you know, that was a game uh, I used when I played video games. And so I put it there and then all of a sudden my friend <laughs> said, hey, Mr. Revenge, huh? And I was like, 
<laughs> and it stuck. Yeah. Yeah. Your kids weren't old enough to help you, uh, you know, work your way through the uh, social media landscape. So, Sadly, no. Sadly, yeah. no. Yeah. But yeah. So, Mystery Revenge on Instagram and uh, the website is uh, Mystery Revenge as well. I mean, apparently that's just who I am now. And people can buy your artwork on your website? Um, on both, on both of uh, my Instagram and my website, yes. Okay. And I currently have a handful of just, you know, limited poster Alice prints up there. And yep. yeah, signing up for the newsletter will get you more info and sketches and all sorts of other stuff. And if, and if somebody house. listened to this podcast and came to your website, would you consider giving them a little, little discount or something Absolutely. like that? Are you yeah. Kidding me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll well, figure that out today. I'll, uh, I'll, I know there's a way to put on the discount codes, but I'll, uh, I'll come up with a little okay. fun tag that they can enter in. Okay. Great. Discount. Yeah. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll add all that to this and to the, um, to the interview. Awesome. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you so much. It was really great meeting you. Yeah. Same, man. All right. Take care. Be in touch. All right, you take care too. Later. You haven't even paid me from last time. I haven't watched Halo either. I'm going to summarize Halo Season 2 based on the Watching Now Halo podcast from Couch Soup. This is going to be fun. So Chief could be crazy. <laughs> Cortana's had a facelift. We're a bit mixed. Quan and Soren's story is really boring. Is, is it over yet? Reach is f***ed. Reach for the stars. You all are gonna die. Spartans have a new leader called Ackerson. More like Dickerson. Apparently McKee is alive? She didn't die on screen, so she's probably not dead. Key's definitely not dying. Right, right, right. And the flood is coming. Is the water on this planet? What do I know? You should be listening to the Watching Now Halo podcast everywhere. Podcasts are available. Where's my money, Drew?